We'll be in Romans chapter 6 today. We're beginning a new series entitled Alive. Romans chapter 6. And it's from here that we will be looking at what does it mean to be alive in Christ and to live in the fullness of the life that he provides for us. If you don't own a Bible, I want to make sure that it's clear that we have some that we would love to give you. It's out at the Getting Connected uh, corner near the coffee, and there are Bibles there that you can have um, as our gift to you. And while you're turning to Romans 6, I also want to make you aware that this evening we're having a Loving the City celebration. So here on our property from 4.30 until dark, uh, we will be uh, partying with the community. And so we want all of you and anybody else you want to invite to come on out. We will have games starting at 4.30. We'll do baptism at 5.30. And then immediately following baptism, we will feast. We'll eat together. Um, Everything is free. There's no charge. And we want you to come and eat with us if you are able. So we'll do that and then just hang out. It's a great opportunity for you who might be more traditionally planning on plan to come to the second service to connect with those in the first service. And it's a great opportunity for us all to connect with uh, people from the community that might not have ever come into our place and also uh, guests and visitors. Uh, it's a good way for you to get to know a little bit more of the people in an informal setting. So I just pray that you can come tonight at 4.30 and we will party together then. Okay, Romans chapter 6, we are diving into the Word. The sermon will be over verses 4 through 14, but I am going to only read right now verse 11. So Romans chapter 6, verse 11, and then I'll pray. The Word of God says this. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let me pray. Father, I ask that you would take your word and drive it deep into our heart. That we might love you, that we might pursue you, that we might have the strength to love others, that we would hate sin, and we would love doing what is good. And so right now I ask, I ask that I would decrease and that your word would increase. I ask that your Holy Spirit would move and that we would hear your voice in these moments. So teach us, I pray. We ask this in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. So on Friday morning of this week, I woke up and I think the banner over my emotions would be under-motivated. Have you ever been there? Let me describe it a little bit more. I was thinking more about sleep or more about the upcoming football weekend or it was 9-11. I was thinking more about the news and remembering back then 
anything that had to do with a desire for God and his word or really the work that I was needing to do at that very moment. Have you ever been under-motivated? Have you ever felt a lack of energy? Well, for me, it happened the weekend before as well. (laughs) I'm a train wreck waiting to happen. Saturday... Um, I was given the privilege on Sunday to preach at a church in Charlotte, an Acts 29 church there, uh, a brother that I have known for a while. And so uh, I went and preached in a church in Charlotte last weekend. And so we just made a kind of a, a weekend of it. We left early Saturday morning. My family did the Ikea thing. I don't know if you've ever been to Ikea. This place is massive and uh, you get lost, but you go because shipping is atrocious if you do it any other way. So... Um, we went to Ikea, you know, and did the whole Swedish deal. And, and then after, uh, after it was over, we went and saw um, some family members of mine who lived in southern Charlotte. So we hung out with them for a little bit. It was just good just to hang. And I think Labor Day fever was settling in, you know. It's the sense of the breeze is blowing and I don't have to work on Monday. And football weekend is here and let's just enjoy. And I had in my brain, um, I'm needing to preach on Sunday morning, which is a lot of preparation, a lot of work. I was completely ready, completely done. Um, But we got into the hotel and with my family, um, wife and four kids, and tried to get everybody quiet and to sleep. And once we did that, the room was dark. We turned out all the lights. And I had been struggling in my heart because... I had a sermon ready, but my heart wasn't there. I was preaching on the joy of seeing Jesus, but I didn't have much joy. And this was a time when my feelings weren't fact, but my feelings were really strong. Of, I would just rather sit and go to sleep. I would rather not do this work. I would rather just, whatever it was, not engage. And so, in the darkness of the room, this is where I thank God for iPads. You know, all the lights are out and my iPad is shining forth with the Word of God. It's like the Shekinah glory shining all over me. (laughs) But, But I felt dark as dirt. And so, I was there and I just began reading. And asking God to give me faith. And nothing was happening. And I was just there. And I was reading. I was reading over my sermon. I was really preaching it to myself. Because I knew I will not be very effective if I'm not affected by this message. This is not just disseminating information. This is connecting with the living God on behalf of others. And I just began to pray. And slowly, probably about an hour, God began to excite my heart. It wasn't this overwhelming sense of like I jumped up out of the chair and woke everybody up with like joy. But there was a flicker. And that flicker looked like faith. He began to help me believe his word. That what he said was true. The promise came to me that he was with me. And in that moment, I began to believe that he was right there with me. 
I didn't feel much, but I believed that he was right there with me. And then more, I began to rehearse more promises that he will give me everything I need for life and godliness. Everything I need. And so I took my fears to him and I said, God, I can't just stand up here and go and speak to this church and, and not be moved by your spirit. I can't do that. I need you to show up. And I began to believe in that moment that he was going to give me focus and clarity of mind and affection for those people. And he was going to make it powerful, not because I was going to deliver a home run, but because he uses base hits for his glory. And I began to have a greater sense of hope, not in people patting me on the back, but in the power of his word. And the the word just began to rise up. Passion and love began to fill my heart because I was meditating on his promises. And I was asking him to stoke a fire where there wasn't a fire. And my hope began to be in the promise that the spirit of God was going to work. And no matter what I saw with my eyes, revival, everybody repenting, falling on their face, or no words No emotion at all. I was given a sense of conviction that I know God is at work. Because he promises his word to work on the hearts of people. And so friends, I come to you as a fellow wanderer, emotional wreck, feelings that are up and down. And I come to join you in this journey to say, it is possible. It's not only possible, it's been purchased that we as a people can live alive to God. A life that is full, not ho-hum and mundane. And this entire series for the next several weeks is going to be, how can we walk? In a fullness of life with God. How can we experience a fullness? Whether our emotions are up and down. Whether our experiences are everything seems to be going our way. Or everything seems to be falling apart. How can we walk alive to God? I want you to say that phrase with me. Alive to God. Say it with me. Alive to God. It does something in the heart just to say it with your mouth. That God would breathe life in the heart. And so, whether you feel down or overwhelmed by life, whether you look around and all you see is struggle and hopelessness, God invites you, hear this, as a sovereign, divine invitation to experience life and life in the fullness. And that's why we are putting forward this series entitled Alive, that we might know what it looks like to live alive to God. So the main idea is that, and I want to give it to you, that God has, for anyone who trusts in Him, God has made us, that is, His people, those who trust in Him, alive to Him. So we are invited to walk, spiritual walking, by His Holy Spirit in what's called a new life. 
Not an old life, a new life. And we're going to see this in three ways. Alive to God, that has been, number one, promised in God's word. Number two, by faith we are alive to God, therefore we should pursue God. We pursue God. And number three, we're going to take one of the many ways that will fill up our next upcoming weeks to say, where do we experience life in God? Where does the fullness of God begin to kind of overcome our emotions and our under-motivated states? And what we're going to look at today is God pours out life by His Word. Okay? So alive to God is a promise. There's a reaction based upon that promise. We should act. And the first action we're going to take is to dive into the Word of God. So let's look at it. Number one, alive to God, life is promised in God's Word. Let's start in verse 4 of chapter 6. Verse 4 says this, We were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism. All of a sudden, we kind of start off kind of morbid. Buried. It assumes there's death to be involved here by baptism into his death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. What he's talking about is a spiritual baptism that then is reflected by a physical baptism. Today you'll see out at the, if you're able to come to the Loving the City celebration, we're going to baptize and when we baptize, you will see a physical picture of a spiritual reality. This is talking about the spiritual reality of when you confess your sin and say, I am a sinner. I cannot fix myself. I am not the one who can control my life. I, must, I just want to give it all to you. God, I can't, I can't do this anymore. I can't take away my shame and my guilt. I've tried to be perfect and I'm not. I try to compare myself to others, and sure, I'm better than some people, but other people are better than me. When you bring to God and you just say, not I'm sort of a sinner, but I'm a sinner. I am therefore separated from you, and I need a Savior. And the only Savior is not my car or my money or my job or my identity or my status. My only Savior is Jesus, and I need Him to break into my life. When you make that confession... The Bible says, what is happening? You have said it with your mouth, but there's something that's happened before in the heart to make that erupt. It's the work of God that says, I'm changing you from the inside out. And it says in this passage that when you confess him, there is a death to sin. This is why the person goes underneath the water. And there is life. In Christ, because Jesus, he took all of our sin on his shoulders. He paid the penalty of our sin. He died the death that we deserve. And he was raised from the dead three days later to show that we can walk in a new life. The scripture says in verse four, we were buried, therefore, with him, with him. By faith alone, we were with him in that death, meaning our sin died with him on the cross. And just as Jesus was raised from the dead by the glory of God the Father, we too, 
by the glory of God the Father, can walk in a new life. A new life. What's new? It's not old. It's different than how you used to be. You walk differently. Your affections are different. Your loves are different. This is what the scriptures talk about. What does it mean in the passage that we have died to sin? Our sin has been buried with him. It means that we are dead to the persuasive love for and the ruling power of sin. The mastery of sin has been broken. Where do I get that? Keep reading. Look at verse 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Prior to Jesus invading our hearts and us confessing him as Lord, we were shackled by sin. We could not please God. We only sought to please ourselves. We went hard after sin. We weren't struggling against it. We were living in it. Shackled, enslaved, mastered. And the scriptures say that when we trusted in Jesus, the old self was crucified, killed, Verse 7, for one who has died has been set free from sin. It means that you are promised. You are promised that the power of sin has been broken. Things might always be a struggle in your life. But you are promised growth in the mastery over it. We are not to walk around hopeless. And we are not to walk around as if sin is going to win. The power of sin has been killed on the cross. And we are to walk believing that we died to sin's rule. Sin was coursing through our veins, so to speak. It was moving us around. We were walking in it. And now... Jesus is coursing through our veins. There's a newness of life. There's a new affection, a new direction. So that now we see what we never saw. We feel what we never felt. We feel deeper. We love like we've never loved before. We weep like we've never wept before. You want more of God than you've ever wanted before. Yes, it goes up and down. But the trajectory is you are new, not old. It's different. You want God. No matter of the emotional fluctuation like I articulated already. The direction of the heart. There's a softness. And that might explain why some of you feel hurt more. You feel it. You, you, you have a sense of I hate injustice. Or you hurt when people are walking in sin. Because you feel more when Christ has worked in your heart. But there's also more hope. There's more hope available. There's a deeper capacity to enjoy the things that God has given you. To enjoy relationships. There is a depth of everything that is unparalleled. It is a newness of life because you've died to sin. 
And you're alive in God. That's why he says what he says in verse 11. So, because you're no longer enslaved, because you are set free, because Jesus really did die, he really did take all of your sin on his shoulders, he really did pay the price that you should have paid, and he really did raise from the dead, he says, now it is a fact, verse 11, you must, imperative, set your mind on, think hard on, consider that you're dead to sin. The allegiance is different. And you are alive to God in Christ Jesus. Alive to Him. The Bible says in Romans 8, I'm just going to go a couple more chapters over. Romans 8, chapter 1. He says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because the power of the spirit of life, it says the law, that law means power there. For the law of the spirit of life, the power of the spirit of what? Of life. He gives life. He specializes in life. For the power of the spirit of life, he set you free. In Jesus' death and life on your behalf, he set you free from the power of sin and death. Sin influences, but it no longer courses through the veins. Jesus has rendered the ultimate verdict. Verse 3 in Romans 8. For God has done what external law could not do. I can tell you all day long, get your act together. I can say, come on, be happy. Start loving people. Stop looking at that mess. And I can just give you command after command after command. And you can grip hard enough to get yourself through a, a day, an hour, maybe a week. Commands don't change the heart. They expose the broken heart. For God has done what the law, weakened by our sinful flesh, could not do. How did God do it? He did it by sending His own Son in the likeness of flesh. And for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. Jesus, completely God, completely man, dying in our place in order that the righteous requirement of the law, there's still commands That they might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to their flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. And those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For the mind set set on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. I want you to read that with me out loud. Verse 6. You ready? For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Do you believe it? Do you believe that? That 
to set your mind intentionally upon things that erode, that are against God's ways, that that will erode the soul and it begins to kill you from the inside out. But do you believe the converse, which is as you set your mind upon God, he is bringing you life and peace. Do you believe it? We walk around with our heads hung low, believing as if sin is going to win. And that life is not an option for us. We hang our heads down low, believing that peace cannot be had on this earth. And this, my friends, says the contrary. To set your mind on the flesh is death. That's why many of us are miserable. But to set our mind on the Spirit, even if it takes days, God is going to be working and bringing out life and peace. The question is, do we take him at his word? It is a categorical fact. And Paul says, you've got to think on it. You've got to consider it. You've got to let it run through your head because you're going to forget it when you stop reading this. You consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. We are not commanded to be dead to sin. We are not commanded to be alive to God. These are ours. What we are commanded to do is to set our mind upon what Jesus has already purchased. And then to go after him with all we've got. This whole first point, alive to God, it's promised in God's word. It could be summarized by God is running hard after you and I. He did it to save us. You can't run any harder than giving your only son to die for sinners. And he was perfect and we were not. But he doesn't stop fighting. Fighting to make us continually who he has already purchased us to be. And so he says we are alive because of our great God has pursued us. But because God has pursued us, we now pursue him. That's point two. Point two is we are alive to God, our pursuit of God. If this is a fact, Jesus died for us, rose from the dead. Then what do we do? We just sit back and let him lead. We let go and let God. Well, that's fine as long as the let go and let God means that you're doing something. Because that's what the passage says, right? Look at verse 12. So consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Well, if I'm dead to sin, I don't have to worry about sin. And if I'm alive to God, I've got full life. What's the deal? And he says, verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. The devil isn't going down lightly. He has lost, but he wants to influence. He wants to destroy. He wants to take away your faith. God will not allow that to happen for his children. But this says that when you are dead to sin and alive to God, because God has pursued you, you will pursue him. That's what this is. You will do it. The way we talk about it, 
is active reclination. I know, reclination is not a word. But I made it up and that's the way we're talking about it. So what do you do when you recline? You sit in a recliner, anybody got a good recliner, what do you do? You just lean back, right? Uh Uh-huh. The only action you might do is, you know, a remote control action or something. You lean back, you recline. This is the way faith is. Jesus does the work for you. You recline into his arms. He carries you. He is the worker on your behalf. But while you are in his arms, you are active. You are working for him. And every good thing that you do will be credited to his glory. And every bad thing that you do will be credited to the sin at work in your life. It is active and yet it's always moving to God. Because he's moved towards you, you move towards him. This is what it means. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to obey their passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. You're under grace. God's grace is working. You're going to win. Now, walk in and act like a winner. What does that mean? Well, don't complain that you didn't win the race. Man, you know, I really thought I was going to win that race. It was, it was so, I, 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 thought I, I thought it was going to happen. Well, you know, um, how fast is your time? Oh, I didn't even run. Didn't even run. Oh, okay. So you lost the race because you didn't run. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Or, I was expecting to get drenched. I was expecting to get just a waterfall coming on me. But I got nothing. I got nothing. And I was wanting to play in the rain. My kids love to play in the rain. I was wanting to play in the rain. Well, did you go outside? No. I stayed inside, sat down. Oh, okay. So you didn't experience the waterfall of God's grace because you didn't go where he promises to pour it out. You are always presenting yourself to someone. This passage says, do not present your members to sin. There's the first person you can present it to. You can present your life to sin, to the devil, as instruments for unrighteousness, doing evil things. Or you can present yourself to God as those who have been changed, brought from death to life. And you present your members, that is all that you are, your eyes, what you look at, your ears, what you listen to, what you think on. Your hands and feet, what you do, present all that you are to God in order that he might use them as instruments for righteousness. But you're always presenting yourself to someone. And when we present ourselves to sin and we say, take me, take me. And we do that. Believing nobody's looking, nobody's seeing. We just say, take me. It is voluntarily giving ourselves to be in the concentration camp. It is being told you can run and we know voluntarily run to the gas chamber. It is saying 
You're a prisoner of war. You've been released. And every single day saying, I'm just going to run back underneath my captors. You will present yourself to someone, to something. And the scripture says, no, give yourself wholly to me. Holy to God. Take me, all of my mind, all of my heart, all of my eyes, all of my ears, all of my hands, all of my actions. Take me that I might be wholly yours. When the scripture talks about being dead to sin and alive to God, it means that you have to do a lot of hard work by the Spirit in order to experience the fullness of that blessing. And the beauty is that when you're weak and you don't have any energy at all, God says, why don't you just tell me about it? Why don't you just say, I'm weak and I need strength? Because God promises that in your weakness, His strength is made perfect. The work is a spiritual work. And the Bible talks about it as walking in the Spirit. Or the Bible talks about it as being filled with the fullness of the Spirit. I just want to read a couple of passages so that you might just be washed a little bit under the Word. Galatians chapter 5. When the Bible says you are dead to sin and alive to God, it also means that we must pursue God because we've been remade and we've been changed. And the Bible talks about that as presenting your members to God. It talks about that as walking by the Spirit. It talks about that as being filled with the fullness of the Spirit of God. I just want to show you that in the Scriptures. Galatians chapter 5 verse 16 through 25 says this. But I say, walk by the Spirit. He could have just as easily said, present your members to God. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You can't be pursuing God and gratify the desires of the flesh. You're going to go after one thing or go after the other. I cannot step here and step there at the same time. This is not twister, you know. When I go after one thing, I'm not going after another. And so he says, but I say I walk by the Spirit. You will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh, they're against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. They're at war, opposed to each other. Why? To keep you from doing the things you want to do. (laughs) There's this acknowledgement of this internal desire to do things that are dangerous for your soul. And God, by His resurrection power, gives His Holy Spirit to live inside of the believer... To help you fight against those things that you want to do. The sinful things. He says verse 18. But if you are led by the spirit you're not under law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. We can try to dress it up and say sin is confusing. Sin is evident. And here it is. Sexual immorality. Impurity. Sensuality idolatry, sorcery, hatred or enmity, strife, that's the quarreling, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. 
I warned you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. These are dangerous for you. And when the person filled with the Spirit of God hears this, their response is, I just have a small anger problem. They have this big problem. Look, all the sins are just laid out. Sexual immorality right next to fits of anger, right next to jealousy. Some you see, some are embedded in the heart. They're all brokenness. They all must be repented of and hated. And Jesus says, I'm there to wash you clean. Come to me. Don't fix yourself up. But your response to this list is not somebody else is worse than I am. The response to this list is, oh God, expose what is here that is dangerous because I don't want to walk according to the flesh anymore. I want to live in the Spirit. Because, verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace. This is a different kind of pursuit than jealousy and bitterness and anger and rivalry. It's love, it's joy, it's peace, it's patience, it's kindness, it's goodness, it's faithfulness. It's how can I be gentle? How can I have self-control? Verse 24, and those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and the desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. If we've been changed by the Spirit, let's start walking in Him. That's Romans 6. Said again in a different context. And that's why he says in Ephesians chapter 5, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. What is God's will? Here it is. That you don't get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but instead you're filled up with the Spirit of God. You go after him. You pursue him. Dear friends, I know it's hard. I know it feels like that everything is against us. And this is when we just need the promises of God to just run right through our excuses. The devil's strong, the cross says he's defeated. I'm terrified of death. Christ has overcome death. The world is evil, but the world will not win. And it's a weak substitute for Jesus. The darkness just seems to get darker. Well, God promises that even in our dark world, all darkness does when it gets darker, light shines brighter. There's pain all around us and I'm suffering and I'm... But he says nothing, no experience you will ever have will ever separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus for you. Nothing. He proved his love by giving his son that we might have the spirit of God and the spirit of God gives life and peace. The question is, do we just believe it or not? Do we believe that although it might take years, do we believe that he is at work? Years for us to see it, that is. That he is at work. We are alive to God. Let's just take inventory. This is what I had to do that one morning. Let's just take inventory. Here are the promises for you. I worked at Home Depot for a while. 
Inventory was like one of my least favorite things, you know, where you have to, thankfully I didn't work in the hardware department because, you know, like you count every nut and bolt and screw and just like nightmare. I worked in the paint department, but you still had to count a lot of stuff, you know, like even how many paint sticks you had. It was a nightmare. And you had to say how much you had. Well, let's take inventory here of the promises of God. And I'm not going to exhaust them, but he, hear this, for anyone who trusts in him, not who performs well, he promises to live inside you based upon faith in him. Not great faith or small faith, faith. His spirit raised Jesus from the dead. And so although your sin is a formidable foe, your sin has been crushed by the death of Jesus. Jesus promises, I will provide you a way of escape from sin. Jesus promises you can kill sin. Jesus promises you can hear his voice. Jesus promises that the living spirit of God will not only help you avoid evil, but will give you the strength to pursue beauty. Jesus promises to never leave you nor forsake you. You are not alone. Jesus promises that if you are walking in the Spirit of God, you are a son, you are a child, you are His. Jesus promises that you are dead to sin and you are alive to God. He wants you to believe His promises. And so, the point of this entire sermon series is how in the world, in all of our frailties and all of our brokenness, live in what has been purchased for us. Death to sin and life to God. And we said, it's going to take action. What are those actions? And every sermon is going to be another way we can pursue God and experience the waterfall of His grace upon us. And the one we're going to take about five minutes to look at is His Word. Next week, we're going to take some time to look at prayer. What does it look like to go hard after God in prayer? The week after that, we're going to look at why do we gather? God has not only given us his word and prayer as individuals, but he's given us the people of God to worship together to strengthen our faith. It's where God pours out the waterfall of his grace. And not only that, but he gives gifts to one another. And we're to use those gifts upon one another. And we're going to take a whole service Specifically the time of preaching. And we're going to have a time where we're just going to be in prayer for one another. We're going to have opportunities to just that you can be prayed over and cared for. We're going to call it a service of healing. Whether it's spiritual, whether it's physical, whether it's emotional. We just want to go after God together in this time. Using our gifts on one another. God also promises to pour out His grace when we don't hold so tightly to things and we're known as a generous people. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. God promises to pour out his grace when you reach outside yourself to share the love of Christ with people who don't know it. And God promises to pour out his grace and love and fight for you when you're humble enough to realize and admit, I need somebody else in my life. I need the family of God in my life. It's these components that help us to walk alive in the Spirit of God. It will take work, but God has promised 
that we can walk in fullness of life in him. And so he begins by giving us his word. Our God is a speaking God and we are alive to God and that life is poured out by his word. Psalm 46 verse 10 says this, Be still and know that I am God. And I will be exalted among the nations and I will be exalted in all the earth. Be still. Isn't it ironic that the first place we start when it comes to an action of walking in the spirit is a place where you don't walk but you're still. The first action is stillness. God doesn't want us for one minute to believe that our actions are supplying something in God that is lacking. He wants us to be fully rooted that every action that would ever flow out of our life is all because his spirit is at work in us from the beginning. He wants us to see that we are desperate for him. He calls us to be still and know that he is God. God is a speaking God and in our religious world, you are commended for all the things that you can do. But God promises to draw near to the lowly and the contrite, to the one who trembles at his word. That's where you'll experience his grace. It's in stillness. And friends, he promises that he is a speaking God. Do you know he spoke the world into existence, right? He continued to speak even when there wasn't a written word of God. He spoke to the prophets and they gave him the spoken word of God. The spoken word of God is recorded here. He gives us his son and his son is called the word. Our God has always been a speaking God and he didn't just stop speaking when he gave us his word. He still speaks through his word and he also speaks to his people through impressions. And have you ever had that moment when you wanted to sin? Something inside was pulling you back from that. What is that? It's the spirit of God pulling you back. He's speaking to you and his sheep hear his voice. That's what John 10 says. John 10 verse 3. The sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name. And leads them out. We were in Guatemala. With a team of 14. And my Spanish was horrific. Still is. But you want to know what made them light up like that? Is when you could walk in to the Commodore. The kitchen. Cafeteria. And you just said their name. It was like you remembered me. It's like you remembered me. You thought about me. And here it says the sheep. They hear my voice. And what's his voice doing? He is calling his children by name. What does that mean? They're no longer orphans. They have a father. And they just love to hear him say You are mine. He calls you by name. And it says that he leads them out. He goes before them. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him. 
That's what he did. He went to the cross before us. He died. He rose from the dead. He says, follow me. I'll call out to you. You'll hear me. You're just going to walk with me. Just follow me. You will not hear him if you're not near him. And yet he overcomes our resistance. He overcomes our distance. He keeps his people. Because the sheep know his voice. And friends, I want to end with just a passage in Psalm 119 that talks about the importance of God's word and the importance of letting it run through your heart that you might hear the voice of the Lord. So if you've been tracking, God has categorically made us dead to sin and alive to God by his son. Therefore, that requires action. It requires that we walk in him That we fight hard for the fullness of the Spirit. We present ourselves not to sin, but to Him. And what's one of the first ways we can do that? Is by placing ourselves underneath the Word of God that we might hear the voice of God. And that we might walk in His ways. And so, I want to look at Psalm 119 verses 9 through 18. And it says this, and I just want to meditate on it with you. The reason I say meditate is because it says it in verse 15. It says, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. Do you know what meditation is? Meditation is, the actual word means to recite out loud. It's what they would do to just try to get it into their head, to memorize it. They would just say it out loud. The memorization of scripture is one of the greatest things you can do to get the word to trickle from just head to heart. Just to set your mind on it. Because if your mind's like mine, you're scattered all over the place. It takes some massive energy to try to get it in this thick skull and to get it to trickle down to the heart. John Piper says this. I don't know any strong Christians who do not memorize or meditate upon Scripture. It is with that strong sense of belief. That apart from God's word, we lose ourselves, we lose our way. Tim Keller says this, Persons who meditate become people of substance, who have thought things out and have deep convictions, who can explain difficult concepts in simple language, and who have good reasons behind the things that they do. Many people do not meditate. They skim everything. They pick and choose on impulse having no thought-out reasons for their behavior. Following whims, they live shallow lives, not alive lives. The people who meditate can resist pressure, but those who do not, they go along with the throng, chaff-like, wherever it is going. They're blown around. We just want to meditate and sit on God's holy word. So let's just do it together as we go to the Lord's Supper. Verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. When I would read that, I would just sit here and I would read. I would say, there's a struggle for purity. How can I fight for purity? He says, the word guards the heart. The word tells you what is beautiful. And I would just pray that. Oh God, make me a man of purity.
Oh God, take your word and guard my heart. Define beauty rightly for me. And he goes on in verse 10. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. Meditation would say, Oh God, where have I wandered from your commandments? And right now, you should ask yourself, and I know, I trust, the Spirit of God is at work. Either sometime throughout this entire sermon or even right now, there's somewhere that you're wandering from His commandments and He's gently yet clearly pressing in upon your heart. Where are you wandering from His commandments? And yet He gives a promise in verse 11. I have stored up Your Word in my heart that I might not sin against You. You pour into the Word... Sin diminishes. Word, sin, word, sin begins to go away. Storing up the word that you might not sin against him. And friends, when you are in the word, verse 12 happens more often. You just begin to bless the Lord. You just begin to praise him. You begin to be thankful for him. That happens when you're in the word. An affection for Jesus comes. And it says, with my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth, and in the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. <laughs> That's hard to say. God, I love your word more than the meal I'm about to eat, than the house that I own, than the car that I drive, than the relationships, than the pat on the back, than my favorite team winning in fantasy football, whatever it is. I delight in you. You're the greatest delight. Your words. And so what I would do is when that's not a reality, I would say, oh God, make it a reality. God, what's standing in the way? Help me. And I will meditate upon your precepts and fix my eyes upon your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I won't forget your word. And of course, I forget his word, right? So I make it my prayer. Oh God, keep me from forgetting your word. How have I forgotten your word? And you listen. You don't always talk. You listen. Wait for pressings. And friends, if you don't have the word of God, you're shooting with blanks. You don't have anything to fight with when the sin attacks. That's why when you store it up in your heart, you might not sin against him. And so the prayer is in verse 17. Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live. You hear that? Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. You see the connection. God deals bountifully that we might have life. And that living will be seeing and keeping his word. So let's pray. Father, I ask that in this moment of going to the Lord's Supper. That you would take your word and drive it deep into our hearts that we might not sin against you. I ask, O oh God, that you would make us alive to you. Father, I pray that you would give us strength when we are weak. You would help us to walk in your ways. And right now, I pray, O oh God, that there would be coming up from the ashes of fatigue or from sin, there would be a, a genuine sense of hopefulness. That although we don't have everything figured out, 
you promise to give life to your people. That we can live dead to sin and alive to you. Constantly making progress over sin. Growing in joy and in peace. Father, I ask that you would do it. I ask that you would give us energy where we're weak and tired. I ask that you give us focused minds where we are distracted. I ask that you would help us to hate sin where we are loving it. And would you take your word and cause us to meditate on it. That we might be underneath the waterfall of your promised grace. I love you. Help us now in these moments in Jesus' name. Amen.